hearts are mortgaged And our minds are media slaves The world is warming up as we are Mother Nature's wage Just inside She is taking Welcome to the Convergence on Voice America and this special entitled The Power of Spiritual Storytelling. This is your series host, Dr. Kurt Johnson of the Inner Spiritual Dialogue Network, Unity Earth, and Light on Light Media. And I'm going to be joined in just a moment by a co-host who will help guide us through conversations with the amazing guests that have joined us for this Voice America special. They are all authors, thought leaders, and activists, many surely familiar to you. If we needed a nutshell from which to tell you about them, first we have three who have been with us before on the Convergence, all from the International Evolutionary Leaders Circle, Greg Braden and Deepak Chopra, along with myself, who joined us previously about our book, Our Moment of Choice, Evolutionary Visions, and Hope for the Future. And then we have nine who will join us today, especially from their participations in the book series, Common Sentience, an apt title and theme for this broadcast, Our Common Sentience, a context that we all share and we'll be speaking of more as our discussions unfold. These include authors you will likely recognize, William Henry, Sister Dr. Jenna, Sister Gente, Temple Hayes, Oscar Miro Quesada, Stephen Farmer, Mbenbahi Bastida Munoz, and JJ and Desiree Hertog. And five of them, along with Deepak Chopra and Greg Braden, are also members of the Evolutionary Leaders Circle who are frequent guests on the Convergence. Now, what you're immediately going to notice in this program is the variety. The variety of the issues that are central today in this pivotal point in our history with regard to both our inner, internal, and outer, external understanding of reality and the universe in which we live. So let me tell you just for a moment what to expect. First of all, Greg Braden begins our sharing with an elegant description and summary of what comprises our global story today, both personal and collective. Then my co-host, about whom I'll say much more in a moment, will share nine discussions that she has had with nine authors, leaders, and mystics while she has actually been traveling around the world in the last few months. Three of them will speak about the personal experience and importance of our deepest inner experiences, especially those in consciousness practices like meditation, contemplation, and the like. Then three will speak about the dimensions of our deep connections with the natural world, the spirit of nature, especially as understood by our original 
indigenous peoples, the landscapes of shamanism and shamanic understanding. Following on that, Free will speak about our personal journey and our process of maturing and awakening, the path to personal ascension. And then to cap off our sharings, Dr. Deepak Chopra will share with us his own deeply personal understanding of the world of story, and especially how they have guided our world's great spiritual traditions, and also today, his own life and work. So we're really in for quite a treat. My co-host who will be speaking with nine of our guests is Ariel Patricia of Sacred Stories. The name again so apt as all of these sharings are indeed sacred stories. What you'll find in common to all of them is they're coming from the depths of personal experience. This is the power of our spiritual storytelling, our sacred stories, our common sentience. So let's get started and go over now to me greeting my co-host, Ariel Patricia, and having her help us move into all of this inspiring material, beginning with Greg Braden. As we all know, Greg is a five times New York Times bestselling author, scientist, educator, and pioneer in the emerging paradigm, bridging science, social policy, and human potential. To his credit are 15 films and 12 award-winning books, now published in over 40 languages. In 2020, he was a nominee for the prestigious Templeton Award. You can read much more about Greg and all of our guests at the Voice America show page. So let's go over now to greeting our co-host, Ariel Patricia. Okay, I'm here with our co-host, Ariel Patricia, from Sacred Stories. So welcome, Ariel, and thanks so much for bringing together your amazing nine guests. So let me begin by asking you to share the short description of this program as posted on Voice America, since it so clearly describes the program and was also the theme that our guest said yes to speaking to. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Kurt. Yes, at Sacred Stories, we believe the power of story, especially our spiritual stories, allows us to deepen into the mystery of our souls. This is such an important topic to discuss because it's time for all of us to feel comfortable sharing the profound, mystical experiences we are having. And if we are not having mystical experiences, to be shown through the power of listening or reading other people's spiritual stories, what is not only possible, but what is becoming increasingly common. The discussions on this broadcast focus on foundational wisdom on spiritual topics, why telling our spiritual stories is important, and how to walk our talk. Thought leaders in each segment will share a personal mystical experience of their own. You know, at Sacred Stories, we believe pairing the wisdom of the spiritual topic with the sharing of our spiritual stories has the potential to open hearts in a way not otherwise possible and change the way we walk in this world. Kurt, this is the next level of consciousness we are ready for, and we are grateful to the thought leaders and authors on this program who are trailblazing this conversation for all of us. Well, thank you so much, Ariel. That really sums it up so well. 
you know, what we're doing and what our listeners can expect. So thanks so much. So now before we go over to Greg Braden's introduction, more, uh, what more would you like to say about this program and what motivated you to bring together these authors, thought leaders, and mystics into this hour or more discussion of the power of our spiritual storytelling? Kurt, you know, my motivation for creating this program and really the larger Common Sentience book series is our individual sacred stories and my sincere hope that together we can write a new, better, collective sacred story. You know, my experience in traveling the world and viewing so many people living in very different human experiences from desperate poverty to young mothers begging with their children on the streets to lavish wealth and security. You know, and our human experiences also span the mental and emotional ranges from despair, anxiety, and stress to feelings of deep contentment and love. And Kurt, our differences go on. So what is apparent to me is that while our human experiences are varied and shape the way we show up in the world, our common bond is our spiritual essence. And if we can help people to connect more deeply with the true nature of who they are, who we all are, we can help elevate the consciousness of this world and write a better story. So I believe the pairing of spiritual wisdom for understanding with the telling of our spiritual stories to touch our hearts can do this. Gee, all right. So, so elegant and moving. I mean, thank you so much for those further comments on what's going to be a fascinating program. So let's go over right now to the really wonderful and elegant introduction to the power of our spiritual stories that Greg Braden has provided us. So over now to Greg Braden. Hello and welcome to the power of spiritual storytelling. My name is Greg Braden. I'm a scientist and an author and since the mid-1980s, my research has led me into some of the most magnificent, isolated, pristine, and beautiful places remaining on the Earth today to gain a better understanding of us, of our past. I want to understand the wisdom of our ancestors that we may have forgotten in the modern world and maybe even discover ancient knowledge that modern science is only now beginning to reveal. Well, I've been so privileged and sometimes just flat-out lucky to explore the hidden temples and the high-altitude monasteries, the texts, the spiritual traditions, all preserved in these hidden relics of the past. But I've been especially blessed to be with the people, the people that still live in these places today, to share the experiences of their joys as well as the tragedies of their lives, from open-fire meals under the stars to terror attacks and revolutions that have ravaged their countries to the births and celebrations of loved ones, it's in these raw, intimate, human experiences that new levels of trust and friendship develop. And it's in that trust and friendship that there's a freedom to share the spiritual stories and the traditions that have been passed from generation to generation, from father to son, from mother to daughter, and elder to initiate for hundreds and sometimes even thousands of years. These are the stories that give meaning to the existence for these people. The stories help them to make sense of the, of the sometimes senseless, to make sense of the joys and the suffering, and to provide guidance and direction to navigate the chaos of their everyday lives. So although we live certainly in a very different world today from the people I've met in these places, 
When it comes to the way we think of ourselves, in some ways, we're not really so different from them after all, from our own ancestors as well. And here's the reason. We still need our stories. We still need guidance. We still need direction to navigate whatever challenges the universe brings to our doorstep. We still need spiritual touchstones. And perhaps most importantly, we still need the stories and the ability to share them through our storytelling. Well, there's a reason that our stories are so powerful. I love this. It's all about science. There's a fundamental truth to explain why the narratives of our past provide such a lasting and effective way to preserve our ideas and our practices, our ceremonies and our viewpoints. It's all about neurons. It's about memory. And it's about the way our brains, as well as our hearts, learn and remember. Robert Schenck is a cognitive scientist, and he perhaps says this so beautifully, sums it up better than, than I can when he tells us that we humans are not ideally set up to understand logic. That's a quote. So what he's saying is we're not really made to remember and pass down to future generations charts and graphs. He goes on to say, and this is a quote as well, we are ideally set up to understand stories, end of quote. So in other words, we're biologically wired for stories, and that includes spiritual storytelling. So our stories are the key. Our stories are the way that we have been taught to think about ourselves. Our stories matter. You know, sometimes uh, when I use the word story, people will think maybe this is an academic or a philosophical conversation. And it certainly may be. But our stories, I'm just going to invite you to consider this that we live our lives based upon the way we have been taught to think about ourselves, our stories, including our spiritual stories. We solve our problems, the everyday problems in life, the big problems between nations. We solve those problems through the way we think of ourselves individually and collectively. Every relationship that we've ever had in our life is based upon the way that we think about ourselves, our story. We heal our bodies, we choose our politics, we claim our spirituality based upon the way we have been taught to think. So literally, our story determines how neurons wire and fire to solve our problems, to create our relationships, heal our body, and embrace our, our spiritual experiences. Now, I want to be really clear about what this is saying, that the way those neurons wire and fire, our stories not only determine how we think about the world, our stories determine what we are even capable of conceiving as a possibility about us and our relationship to the world because our stories are determining biologically the circuits that allow us to have those considerations. Wow. So when we change our stories, it changes our lives. When we change our personal story, it changes our personal lives. When we change our collective story, it changes our world. And that's where we are right now. This is why this is so important. This is what's up for us today. The world is changing and the new story is emerging. The stakes have never been higher. Well, news discoveries, and, and these are discoveries based upon rock-solid, peer-reviewed science. New discoveries are changing the way that we think about ourselves. They're changing our story. So I'm going to share some of those discoveries with you now. I'm going to do it quickly. Discovery number one, traditional science has led us to believe that we're the product of a dead universe, a primal release of energy that put into motion random patterns, inert material, 
the result of what is called really lucky physics, and it would have to be lucky <laughs> to give us the parameters of the universe as we know them today. That's traditional science. The implication is profound. The implication is that the universe and nature, if it's just random and inert and dead, that it's ours to dominate, to manipulate, to control and exploit. And we see that thinking all around us in terms of the way that we treat our own planet. And now as we explore other planets, we're carrying those beliefs to the moon and to asteroids and to Mars. But listen to this, the new story, this is so exciting. The new story tells us the universe appears to be alive that the universe is organized, it acts and responds, literally, as a living organism. When something happens in one part of the universe, a star explodes, other parts compensate as if it is a living organism. Uh, physicist Gregory Matloff maybe sums this up best. I'm going to share three quotes from him. He says that, number one, a field of consciousness could extend through all of space. This is a physicist telling us this. Number two, that stars may be thinking entities that deliberately control their own paths. And number three, and here he's not leaving anything to, uh, to doubt. He says, put more bluntly, the entire cosmos may be self-aware. And that's a direct quote. Wow, what a very different way of thinking about our, our cosmos, our universe. And it doesn't end there. Discovery number two is with regard to us within that universe. We humans traditionally have been led to believe through the scientific uh, thinking that we're the product of random mutations. And again, what's called really lucky biology. The implication is obvious that human life is ours to exploit. If we're the product of, of random processes, where's the specialness in that? We're, uh, life is ours to exploit, to dominate, to control, ours to give, and ours to take away. The new science is telling us something very different. The new science is telling us that Darwin's idea of evolution is not and cannot be our story. It's not supported by the evidence. The physical evidence, the fossil evidence, the cultural, the genetic, the archeological evidence no longer support Darwin's idea of evolution as the story of our origin. In fact, the DNA that is now being extracted from ancient fossils of our ancestors and being compared to our DNA is telling us that we did not descend from those primitive forms of life, that we appeared mysteriously 200,000 years ago as what are called anatomically modern humans, and that our genome hasn't changed since that time. Now, obviously, we've evolved in consciousness but our genome has not changed, and we're the product of these mysterious fusions and mutations, such as the, the fusion, the telomere to telomere fusion of, that created chromosome number two. So when we look at, at what the evidence is saying, we are the product of ordered and not random processes, it begins to open the door to a new way of thinking about ourselves. Discovery number three that the fundamental rule of nature, survival of the strongest, this is the traditional scientific story. And these are Darwin's own words, survival of the strongest later interpreted as survival of the fittest. The new story is telling us something very different, that the fundamental rule of nature is what is called cooperation and mutual aid. And while competition happens, the more competition that we see, the further we've strayed from this fundamental rule of cooperation. So when we begin to, to see these discoveries, they give us the reasons, science-based reasons, to think differently of ourselves, to, to change our story. Discovery number four, 
The old story tells us that we humans as carbon-based life are flawed by the nature of our existence, that we are weak, vulnerable victims of our environment. And because we are flawed and vulnerable, we need something outside of ourselves to be safe, to be successful, to realize our potential. We need technology. Well, the new story, the new story that's emerging, the new human story is telling us that we are in fact a highly sophisticated, technologically advanced form of soft technology. When we say technology, we're not computer chips and wires and chemicals. We're neurons and cell membranes and ion potentials that we move across cell walls. And here's the thing, we self-regulate these potentials. We have the ability to self-regulate, to regenerate, adapt to extremes and to heal every organ, every gland and every tissue in the human body. It's a very, very different way of thinking about the human body. And I want to talk about this idea of soft technology. What the modern science is telling us is the average adult has somewhere around 50 trillion cells in the human body. And each of those cells generates a small electrical potential, about 0.07 volts. And you say, well, that's not very much, and I agree, but you do the math, 0.07 volts times 50 trillion cells, and we're talking about 3.5 trillion volts of electrical potential in the human body. But it doesn't stop there, because every one of those 50 trillion cells also functions as electrical components, just like we see in machines. Every cell in our body functions as a transistor, as a resistor, as a capacitor. Every cell in our bodies releases and absorbs light, photons, and that light is information. Information that is informing our bodies in terms of how to function. Our cells, the, the antenna on the outside of our cells that we call receptors, they are chemical antenna, and they are also antenna that can receive and broadcast information on the electromagnetic spectrum. But it doesn't stop there because the DNA in the nucleus does the same thing. It sends and receives information. We are broadcasting and receiving information from the world around us all the time. Every cell in our body stores and retrieves that information just like we store and retrieve information on a computer chip. So literally, literally, we begin to think of ourselves as a soft technology. We're searching the world around us for these ultimate technologies, it's very possible that we are the technology that we've been waiting for. And this is the core of our most ancient and cherished spiritual traditions, that we have this extraordinary potential within us that we self-regulate through thoughts, feelings, emotions, beliefs, breath, and focus, the very principles of those most ancient and cherished spiritual traditions. You know, at the most basic level, when we talk about spirituality, it's really all about relationships. Our relationship to ourselves, to one another, to the earth, to the future, to the past, to the cosmos, ultimately to God and whatever we believe a greater existence to be. And we continue to use stories to describe and preserve what we believe about these vital relationships. So you know our story is important. Now our story is changing. We ask science to tell us who we are. Science is revealing new ways of thinking about ourselves. And the question becomes very clear. It's all about love. Do we love ourselves enough to embrace the story, the new spiritual story that describes our relationship with ourselves and the world around us? Maybe most importantly, the extraordinary potential 
that in many cases is untapped. Do we love ourselves enough to think in our minds and feel in our hearts and live in our lives what our new spiritual story reveals? Well, we're already answering this question. We won't have to wait long to find out. We answer this question in the choices that we make each and every moment of each and every day. The stories that we tell ourselves about our relationship to our bodies and the earth, the cosmos, ultimately to God, those stories will determine our brightest future, our destiny, or our darkest fate as we search for the healthy choices in the emerging world. So I want to thank you for listening to the power of spiritual storytelling today. And I hope that you've enjoyed this perspective just as much as I've enjoyed creating it and sharing it with you today. Well, we want to thank you, Greg. I think your introduction has not only painted out the panorama, the cosmic panorama of our discussion, but also given us a challenge, a challenge to address the tremendous potential that you point to and which is, as you say, what both we and the cosmos are and are all about. Our guests will be sharing from across this entire panorama, starting with the inner dimensions of spiritual practice, mystical experience, and what these experiences motivate us to be and do. They will also share about our implicit relationship to the natural world and our fellow inhabitants within it, especially from the deep wisdom and experiences of our first peoples. And finally, about our own personal path and that of the planet and cosmos toward maturation and full potential. Something as you portrayed it, Greg, that could be grand indeed. And finally, Deepak Chopra speaks to this panorama too and what it means not only from the world's great wisdom traditions, but to his own life and work in the world today. So let's go over now to our co-host, Ariel Patricia, introducing her first group of authors. The first segment is on meditation and contemplative practices, a way many people open to the presence of the divine. We are joined by Sister Dr. Jenna, an acclaimed spiritual leader, founder, and director of the Brahma Kumaris Meditation Museum, the host of the popular American Meditating radio show, and author of our new book, Meditation, Intimate Experiences with the Divine Through Contemplative Practices, now available and the second book in our Common Sentience book series. Joining Sister Jenna is Temple Hayes, an author, global spiritual leader, and difference maker. And Sister Genti, an additional administrative head of the Brahma Kumaris, she is also director of the organization's activities in Europe and the Middle East, and the Brahma Kumaris representative to the UN in Geneva. More information on all of our speakers can be found on the Voice America show page. So we're going to have a really great conversation on meditation and contemplative practices. And Sister Jenna, I'd like to start with you. If you can please share your thoughts on the mystical aspect of meditation as one way people can open to a personal connection with the divine. Sure, sure. Well, I think that without meditation, there is no connection to the divine. <laughs> I don't know how people are actually experiencing the energy of God's light without some sense of introspection, reflection, contemplation. So for me, it started in my 
early years, maybe in my teens. And not that I knew what meditation was at the time. I just knew that the world behind my eyes had secrets. I knew that. But I wasn't quite sure if it was the secrets of the experiences that I'm carrying of my many lives, or if it was the the secret of God wanting to tap into my consciousness and open me up to a future life that had just such a balance and such harmony. And so when I look at the whole aspect of mysticism in meditation, without the practice of meditation, how can we have the mystical experience? So meditation is to observe your thoughts and to check for yourself, what are you serving? The truth of the self, the soul awareness, the part of you that has divinity and grace and beauty and royalty, or the body awareness, the part of you that moves away from that truth and gets into algae, anger, lust, greed, attachment, and ego. So when I looked at the whole aspect of mysticism in meditation, when you start to develop those mystical experiences, it starts to move you, move you from inside out towards wanting and needing and having to be cleaner in your intentions and your motives. And in my young days, I didn't know that. You know, you thought that your connection to the divine or the universe was something that would make you do amazing things with your thoughts or with your hands. Or remember in these days, we would say magical things would happen, you know, when you had the mystical powers. But in reality, the magic that was happening is that you were changing from inside, from a person who was so lost and so divided and so broken up in pieces into someone being so whole. So when we look at the practice of meditation, we invite ourselves to become whole again and to come back to the purity of our presence on this planet and to come with that cleanliness of intent, which makes you so free. So I'm just hoping that at some point in time, the whole world will wake up to this practice. The seers did it. The saints did it. The saints did it. The seers did it. The gurus have done it. The mystics, the, our grandparents, some of our parents have done it. So many of my elders, everyone around me have meditated. And I've just seen how it has transformed them from inside out. So it's a huge transformational tool to bring you into that deeper mystical presence where your sacred cannot be hidden. Thank you, Sister Jenna. Sister Genti, you see the erosion of spiritual values as the underlying cause of the crisis the world is facing today. Can you share why you think sharing our mystical experiences through meditation can have a positive impact? I think stories are a beautiful way to open many doors especially the door leading inside, because so often our time is spent in the world out there and even my own external form and identity takes over. And so to be able to find a door that opens up and allows me to go inside is very, very important. And so the mystical experience and sharing that experience with others gives them permission and shows them how to be able to make that inner journey. Because it's so important, especially at this time, because 
it feels as if we've lost that awareness of who we really are. We are so caught up in different aspects of external identity that has actually become highly divisive, whether it's gender, whether it's race, whether it's religion, you know the story and how much division there is in the world and is causing so much trouble and hatred and dissatisfaction. But actually, when I connect with my own inner being, the mystical side of my own truth, the being that I am within, then I can also rise above all those divisions and conflicts and connect with you, the inner being also. And the mystical experience makes us realize that whatever our background may be, doesn't matter but we share something which is very, very similar. And that is we share values. Because what's happening in meditation is that I'm able to tap into my own original qualities and the royalty, the uh, integrity, all of this is really true. Um, But there are five essential qualities that are there in every spirit, in every human soul. Peace, love, truth, purity, and joy. And the problem is that we've been looking at it from outside and looking for these qualities outside, and we don't find them. And we get disappointed and upset and confused. But sharing the story of mystical experiences shows us how you can go inside and discover the truth of who you truly are, And you're able then to connect with others on the basis of that truth. And I do see that this is the only way forward if we are to create truly a human family that has that love and respect for each other. Because we are a family. Yes, we've been born in different places, different continents, but it's one family. And we've forgotten this because we've lost touch with ourselves And so my hope is that as people share stories of the mystical experiences, they'll understand that we are actually one family and we share the same original qualities. And it's time now to be able to connect with those for myself, emerge them and express them in my behavior. I think stories are a beautiful way to open many doors especially the door leading inside, because so often our time is spent in the world out there and even my own external form and identity takes over. And so to be able to find a door that opens up and allows me to go inside is very, very important. And so the mystical experience and sharing that experience with others gives them permission and shows them how to be able to make that inner journey. Because it's so important, especially at this time, because it feels as if we've lost that awareness of who we really are. We are so caught up in different aspects of external identity that has actually become highly divisive, whether it's gender, whether it's race, whether it's religion, you know the story, and how much much division there is in the world and is causing so much trouble and hatred and dissatisfaction. But actually, 
when I connect with my own inner being, the mystical side of my own truth, the being that I am within, then I can also rise above all those divisions and conflicts and connect with you, the inner being also. And the mystical experience makes us realize that whatever our background may be, it doesn't matter, but we share something which is very, very similar. And that is we share values. But because what's happening in meditation is that I'm able to tap into my own original qualities and the royalty, the uh, integrity, all of this is really true. Um, but there are five essential qualities that are there in every spirit, in every human soul. Peace, love, truth, purity, and joy. And the problem is that we've been looking at it from outside and looking for these qualities outside, and we don't find them. And we get disappointed and upset and confused. But sharing the story of mystical experiences shows us how you can go inside and discover the truth of who you truly are. And you're able then to connect with others on the basis of that truth. And I do see that this is the only way forward if we are to create truly a human family that has that love and respect for each other. Because we are a family. Yes, we've been born in different places, different continents, but it's one family. And we've forgotten this because we've lost touch with ourselves. And so my hope is that as people share stories of the mystical experiences, they'll understand that we are actually one family and we share the same original qualities. And it's time now to be able to connect with those for myself, emerge them and express them in my behavior. Thank you, Sister Genti. Your words exemplify the importance and the power of our spiritual stories. Now, Temple, your mystical meditative experience that you shared in Sister Jenna's new book changed the course of your life. Can you please share your story with us? Uh, sure, I'd be happy to to give a little bit of a, a beginning on my path that at 19, when I discovered unity, that was a core value of unity teachings and new thought is meditation. And so in the early days of my life, meditation was, there's a lot going on externally and let me be quiet and pretend that nothing else is going to happen. Then there was a deepening called meditation where I came to understand that silence is more than the absence of noise is the discovery of the peace within and then that was evolutionary. I say that to people that are listening because meditation is like prayer. It's like relationship with the divine. It's evolving as you are. And so be mindful not to put it in a box because your way and your practice will continue to find you. So when meditation really opened up my second chakra into this place of the heart space, was when I got involved in shamanism at 38 years old. And I understood then going into the non-ordinary reality, the elders, the sages, the people from other realities that were there giving me messages. 
And that's where so much of the magic, because I would see certain things and visions. And then the next week in my life, well, there would be some of those experiences. So it all started coming together. But in shamanism, we always say that past time, future time and present time are all one time. And I thought that was an impressive statement, but like so many platitudes and cliches used in spiritual community, I didn't really understood what it meant, though it sounded important. (laughs) And so I went to Brazil. I was invited there um, to see uh, many healers and a group of us went. And I was there as a humble student. I, before I arrived, I said, I'm tuning in to the consciousness of Sai Baba to Christ consciousness, to all the luminaries that have ever walked the earth. I have no agenda. I just want my heart to be open. And so I went into a room and I was given a healing. And it was a healing to bless me about my request to expand as a healer. And so I was told after I had the healing, I was to go back to my Posada and I was to be quiet for 24 hours with no interaction with anybody else, no internet. I mean, literally the divine nothingness. So I'm in my room and they're doing, I'm on the second level and they're doing construction work outside of my window. And the room was designed that it was mostly sliding glass windows. It was quite beautiful, but so loud with this construction work going on and them yelling and Portuguese and I'm still understanding English most of the time. So I didn't know what they were saying, but it was just really loud. So I gently went down to the lobby and I said, I've come a long way and I'm supposed to be quiet and this isn't quiet. And can you put me somewhere else? Um, Ma'am, we can't put you anywhere else. And not only that, but, you know, you there's no place in town that you can go to. I said, okay, I'm going to draw from what I know, that silence is more than the absence of noise. It's the discovery of peace within, because obviously this is my experience, the loudest room in Abhijanya. So, <laughs> so I go back to my room, and I, I do what is nice when we do it. I, I surrender. And I went into a deep, deep, meditation leading into another reality and I was there in whatever zone that would be and so that being said I awoke to someone tapping on my shoulder and it really startled me and as I'm being tapped on the shoulder and I open my eyes I'm like well there's nobody here nobody physically here And then I got this energy of this voice, not from the hand on the shoulder, but from another reality that said, you have always been a healer. And I was shown a movie that when I was 19 years old, I was working in a corporation and there was a man that had cut his arm and he came walking up to me. And blood is coming out of his arm. And I didn't get into my head. I just immediately rushed over to him, put my hands on where he was bleeding, and the bleeding stopped. Immediately it stopped. And his eyes got this big. And he looked at me and said, who are you? 
And it really frightened me because I was already new thought. I was already gay. I mean, trust me, I, I didn't necessarily need any more reasons to stand out, but it really terrified me. But I was given this moment of what, you know, God can do through us. Okay. And so the noise gets louder back in real time with the construction workers. And I go and I open the sliding glass door and I shout, hello. And the man is going like, you know, I really understand you. You know, I'm putting this together, what you're saying. And I look over and there's a man that's walking across the back there towards one of the construction workers. He has a Band-Aid on his arm, and he holds it up. He looks at me, and he goes, just like that. Now, here we are 31 years later of the experience of the divine. So consciousness prevails, and the mysticism of meditation is absolutely delicious. It's the nectar of the soul. I'm grateful to be part of this conversation. Uh, Temple, thank you so much. You know, just listening to your story, you know, exemplifies the power of telling our stories, right? I mean, we can talk all day long about the power of meditation and bringing us into connection with the, with, uh, the divine. And then we experience someone's stories, um, and then during the time that you were at the balcony and you were trying to, you know, hand signal to them that you, they need to stop, stop the noise because you needed to be quiet. And the man pointed to his arm. I mean, all of what you just shared, you know, we lived it with you. And that is, that is such a power. That is so powerful. Sisters, thank you. Thank you. Sister Jenna, you mentioned in the beginning, you know, you were a little reluctant to uh, talk about the power, you know, the stories, the personal stories. What would you like to share now to to others who are listening, you know, maybe encouragement or reflection on on where you are and um, regarding people sharing, feeling comfortable sharing the mystical experiences? Um, I think I'm in a very optimistic place, more so than I've ever been, you know, being on the path of sharing spiritual teachings and spiritual knowledge from my traditions. Sometimes you have a room of a hundred folks and only two show up, right? (laughs) Now I'm observing that there'll be a room of 100 folks and 200 show up, you know, because they're sharing the news with everyone. I think we are coming to our awakening. And I believe that now more than ever, the souls, all of us just want to come from a very, real place. You can't have a relationship with a person who's attached to their role or position or title. I mean, how are you going to really know what's the true essence of the being? And I think what Sister Genti had shared about really being in the soul awareness, and when you can see the person soul to soul and relate to a person soul to soul, that person can trust you. And you can have a long-term relationship with that person. And I suspect that our humanity needs to have trusting, safe, pure, loving relationships with each other. And until we can get into our soul awareness and 
practice meditation and experience the mysticism and the experiences that come from it, uh, then I don't know how we're going to come together. And we will, though. I believe it, Ariel. We will come together and we will make this world a better place. There's no other way. There's no other way for us to bring humanity together unless we're spiritually connected or spiritually aware. We are one family, as Sister Jendi said, and we need to look at each other from that perspective now and stop playing games. Well, thank you so much, Ariel, and your guest, Sister Dr. Jenna, Sister Genti, and Temple Hayes, for those insightful and moving sharings. And I think very much as Sister Jenna summarized at the end, this is the time that we are seeing all of these dimensions coming together in the world and an understanding of all the components that are a part of that global conversation toward, as the great inner spiritual pioneer, Brother Wayne Teasdale said, the potential of a global civilization centered on the heart. So this lead-in discussion on the place and importance of meditation and the personal meditative experience is such a great gateway for the other topics we're going to be further exploring. So we'll be right back with our second group of authors right after this short message from Sacred Stories Publishing, sacredstories.com, and their Common Sentience book series, which is the host of a number of the authors on our program today. The mystical goes mainstream. Common Sentience a first-of-its-kind book series, is proving that our direct, personal, spiritual experiences are an increasingly common and meaningful part of our human lives. Each book in the series spotlights specific ways that our profound connections with the divine are made through nature, angels, sound, spirit guides, animals, meditation, ancestors, shamanism, ascension, and more. What makes these books special is the featured author of each book is a renowned thought leader on the topic that shares grounded wisdom and deepening practices that expand and elevate your understanding of the spiritual phenomenon. Then in each book, you experience the mystical through the words of those who've lived it. Read true, personal, spiritual stories shared by people from around the world people just like you and me. The result is an uncommon book series that helps each of us remember and embrace our innate essence as spiritual beings. Current books in the series include Animals, Personal Tales of Encounters with Spirit Animals by Dr. Stephen Farmer, and Meditation, Intimate Experiences with the Divine, through contemplative practices by Sister Dr. Jenna. Both books now available from booksellers worldwide. Pick up your copies today and deepen into your experience of the divine nature of who you really are. Go to sacredstories.com for information on Common Sentience, an uncommon book series. Welcome back to The Convergence on Voice America. This is your host, Dr. Kurt Johnson, here with our co-host, Ariel Patricia of Sacred Stories. So let's join now with our second group of authors. They'll be introduced by Ariel 
who will moderate the discussion. So over now to them. Thank you, Kurt. In our next segment, we will discuss our interrelationship with the natural world to include spirit animals, shamanism, and our ancestors, all aspects of the divine that are innately available to us once we are aware and open to them. We are joined today by Oscar Miro Casada, an earth-honoring ceremonialist, founder of the Heart of the Healer Shamanic Mystery School, originator of the Pachacuti Mesa tradition, cross-cultural shamanism, and author of our upcoming book, Shamanism, Personal Quests of Communion with Nature and Creation, a book in our Common Sentience book series. We're also pleased to have Dr. Stephen Farmer, a licensed psychotherapist, soul healer, and author of several best-selling books, including Animal Spirit Guides. Stephen is also author of our recently released book, Animals, Personal Tales of Encounters with Spirit Animals, now available, and the first book, Leading the Pack, in our Common Sentience book series. Joining Oscar and Stephen is Mindahi Bastida, the director of the Original Nations Program of the Fountain, a caretaker of the philosophy and traditions of the Atomi Toltec peoples, and an Atomi Toltec ritual ceremony officer. Mindahi is a consultant with UNESCO on issues related to sacred sites and bioculture, and the author of our upcoming book, Ancestors, Divine Remembrances of Lineage, Relations, and Sacred Sites. Full bios of all of our guests today can be found at the Voice America show page. So gentlemen, it is an absolute pleasure to welcome you to the show. Well, thank you. Thank you for having us. It is an honor. So we're going to start with you, Oscar. And my question to you is, as a shamanic practitioner, tell us what does interrelationship with the natural world mean? And how does shamanism play a role? Well, based on my own experience, Ariel, of communing with the powers, the virtues, the forces, and the great medicines of the natural world, I would say it has everything to do with the natural world. For shamanism is a nature venerating, uh, ancestor honoring, soul vivifying life way that uh, needs to have a relationship with the living soul or the consciousness of everything, including our stone relatives, our plant relatives, our animal relatives, our mountains, our rivers, our great lakes and lagoons, the tree relatives. So in my own apprenticeship as a camasca curandero, my initiation into that has to do with finding, listening carefully and feeling, living into the story of the natural landscape, the landscape shrines that are surrounding the ancestral sites of our people. Therefore, I would say that without a connection with the living, pulsing, sentient natural world, there is no shamanism. Without that connection, we could not be the vessels, the instruments through which the power of Pachamama, of Mamakocha, and of the great heavenly realms that are part of the natural world as well can move through us and help us find direction as well as potentiate our healing capacity as hollow bones on planet. So I would say that in 
communing with the Tiracuna, the watchers, the ancestors that inhabit the rock outcroppings and some of the mountain ravines that are so sacred to our people, the Aukis, the nature spirits that whisper very sweet directions in your ears without listening to the story of the Malki, the tree beings that contain such connection between the earth and the heavens, without a deep loving relationship with the Apukuna, the mountain deities that are revered by our people since time immemorial, we do not have a story as human beings. Without that type of listening deeply to what is embodied in these nature beings, we would be lost as a species. And therefore, in not only Andean and coastal and Amazonian shamanism that I'm familiar with, but worldwide, our relationship to these soul-imbued living powers that are contained and embodied within our sentient Gaia Pachamama world is impossible. So therefore, it's a return to a reverence of deep loving commitment to be a relative like they are to us. Our family in the natural world is the true family that gave us birth from the womb of our mother earth. Hence, shamanism is all about entering into deep soul awareness, soul communion with the natural world. I trust that answers your question. Thank you, Oscar. Stephen, your relationship with spirit animals is an important part of your life. Please share what spirit animals are and why you think sharing our mystical encounters with these spiritual allies is important. You know, there's no ambition involved in this this work. You know, it's a calling. And then it's, you know, I think they choose the right people. <laughs> the guides choose the right people uh, to respond to that calling. And that was one of the callings that I got initially was about spirit animals. So made, uh, you know, I did a lot of research, book research. I started practicing that, you know, receiving messages, etc. And I think the beauty of it and the elegance of that is that most people can relate to at least some animals. You know, they, they, that we are an animal. You know, we're in monkey body, so to speak, with this self-reflective consciousness that sometimes uh, helps us and sometimes gets in our way, but, uh, or the way of others, too. But in getting that calling, I began to understand, you know, yeah, that there is a distinct way that the great spirit, the great mystery operates to give us uh, omens, messages, signs, etc., that can really help us guide our life to help us to discover and then in turn stay on our purpose. What I like about, and I think that's really handy about uh, animals, is they, uh, they're around us all the time, you know, whether in the physical form or in the symbolic form, like a symbolic, like a big dream, or even a, a poster or on the side of a truck one time, I saw snakes, you know, that had a very significant message. Uh, and then it's the art of learning how to discern that message. And um, it's really not that difficult to do. You know, it just takes a practice and a diligence. And, and I believe what that does that for most people who engage in that, way that practice of receiving messages from the animals uh, uh, that the animal 
herself or himself is really a rep- representing uh, spirit in a particular form. And in that form, there's a more uh, distinctive message that can come across. I'll get, and I'll give you some examples in a second. My uh, uh, 25 words or less, you know, how do you tell if an animal is a spirit animal is this, okay? And you, it's very simple. When an animal shows up in an unusual way, and that's really in the eye of the beholder, but an unusual way, the crow that lands on the table where you're sitting having your coffee, you know, a hawk that circles overhead, a big dream about a dolphin, you know, any anything like that where um, the, um, the animal shows up in an unusual way. The second criteria would be rep- repetition. Just like a lot of other signs or ways that Great Spirit reaches us, uh, when uh, that hawk, well, a, a good example would be owl. Uh, there was a period... Um, about a year ago when an owl started singing to me. I say singing to me, but singing, and I went out and responded to the owl. And what happened is I live in a fairly suburban neighborhood, so I take my dog out for a walk to the local park, and this owl is tracking us. So that, to me, is an unusual appearance, and he kept showing up night after night after night as if, like, he would call me from my home office and I would respond, we'd go out and we'd sing to each other. And I'd do a pretty good owl, you know. Anyway, so we'd sing to each other. But this related to that un, uh, unusual and repeated, because we don't see owls around here a lot, repeated experiences, okay, what's the message, Stephen? So I tuned in and I, 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 what I did is I asked the spirit of owl that sort of, in a way, had sent this representative, this physical representation to me, What's your message for me? Again, the message coming as a, as a piece of guidance along my life purpose and my spiritual path. And there were two things. One, I'm, an, I'm a wannabe rock and roll star. I love music. I play. I've, writ, I've written some songs. I've recorded them, etc., etc. And he reminded me to sing. <laughs> Simple, straightforward. You could almost deduce that, you know, from the experience. <laughs> And so I did. I followed that to sing. But also one message that is, I'd say, fairly common when owl or an owl shows up representing owl spirit is beware of the shadows. The shadows in oneself, you know, pay attention to those or possibly a shadow in someone that you're engaged with or related to or you're in a, some communication mm-hmm. with that they may be expressing a shadow that uh, that um, you need to be aware of, you know, and the one that you got to be careful with, of course, is the shadow of deceit, you know, uh, Oscar called the trickster, you know, is that is that a shadow that's coming forth? Or again, in myself, so, and again, I've had messages like that from grasshopper to sing, I've had messages from crickets, you know, walking into my office and I'm hearing crickets, you know, and I tune in and what I get is um, sing, you know, so that's been a real powerful and dominant message in, you know, frankly, I think that the creative expression in any form is absolutely essential. You know, it's mine happens to be singing, writing as one, poetry, etc., that kind of thing. Uh, but I veer a little bit. But anyway, the, so the idea there, again, let me repeat, is uh, when an animal appears in an unusual and or repetitively, particularly in a short period of time, pay attention. Thank you, Stephen. Mindahi. Your connection with the natural world is part of your lineage. 
Please share your story of your grandmother's mystical gift that was passed on to your mother and how knowing these spiritual stories has shaped you. Sharing, Stephen, I'm very grateful for that, remembering, remembering all the connections that we have with the animal, the crystal, and the plant world. So in my, my experience and my story uh, begins with uh, the lineage of my grandmother. As far as I remember, I grew up with her and my grandfather. Uh, very close. Uh, I was still not born, but uh, she was enlightened by this beautiful light. You know, so in some traditions, it's called the, the thunderbolt, the rayo. But also there is a second one, which is called the centella. It's like a spark without sound. And that's what my grandmother received. It was uh, in, a, in the afternoon around 3 p.m., and she was chopping some wood because no men were around. They, they wanted to, to work in, with the band, with the music band, to another community. So my, my grandmother received this spark from the heavens, and she fainted. She fainted. But in our tradition, uh, we have to wait until the second centella, the second spark comes and wakes, wakes, uh, wakes the person up. But uh, there was a big mistake because one of my aunties uh, touched my grandmother. Hmm. And my grandmother was in bed for two weeks and she was in coma. So it was my mother who was taking care mostly about her and uh, when she woke up, she said, eh, Mila, I need to go in the backwards, backwards in the patio. But uh, so she said, uh, and my mom said, you are very weak. You cannot go. Please allow me to go on my own. Don't follow me. So she went in the backwards and she received this, again, this spark, the second spark, the second centella, and she received Three gifts. One, the red leather book. The second one, a bucket of sacred plants. And the third one, it was a, a medal. You know, a distinctive medal. With the stripes white and, and pink. So when she was coming back, because they, my aunties and my mom thought she was about to die. Because, you know, they were very scared. And, but she was very well. She was coming back with uh, her gifts. So she called my mom to her room and she said, Mila, when I'm going to go, please put this medal with me. I want to take it with me. And that's what she said to her. So after that, uh, she began to to receive some, uh, during the dream time, some uh, directions. So she was said by the Great Spirit, you have to begin to heal 
others. But my grandmother didn't want to heal others because she didn't want to be named witch. So they were talking between my mom, my mom and my grandmother, and finally uh, she was she agreed to heal your family because my mom suggested that. So her medicine was chewing tobacco. And while she was alive, nobody was sick. Nobody went to see a physician or a hospital or anything else. We were, for many, many, many years, uh, was attended by my grandmother. And the, the fact that I, I come into this lineage is because uh, my grandpa and my grandmother chose me ever since I was four years old. And I began to read that red leather book until I turned 13 years old. And uh, when my grandmother passed away, she left all her energy, her force to my mom. Mindahi, thank you. And taking just a moment here for all of us to pause. Thanks to all of you. And thank you, Mindahi, for telling us about your lineage and your calling handed down from your grandmother and mother and telling us about the first and second light, the thunderbolt and the spark and about your grandmother laying in a coma and waking, saying, no matter how weak she was, she still needed to go to the backwoods and be alone. And how she received there the red leather book, the medicinal plants, and the special medallion. This is such a moving and truly magical story of how that shamanic lineage was passed down to you. Thank you. And thank you, Stephen, for that insight into our implicit connection to nature and to other animals. I'll bet that when we're snuggling with our pets, we don't often realize, as you said, that it's animal to animal. And thank you for that enlightening primer on spirit animals and how important and intimate they can be in our spiritual life. Thank you so much. And Oscar, thank you for your succinct weaving of the messages and narratives from your root tradition and how they are in such deep harmony with nature and point toward the kind of nature-based consciousness that now is an absolute must for this world. Thanks to the four of you for sharing these insights. I really invite all of our listeners to really sit with this a bit. And give yourself some quiet times to reflect on these kinds of experiences. They can be so important to our own transformative life. Now, we'll be back in a moment with our third group of authors right after this short message from the Evolutionary Leaders book, Our Moment of Choice, Evolutionary Visions and Hope for the Future involving our guests, Greg Braden and Deepak Chopra, along with myself as co-editor. The book will be appearing in paperback 
in May 2022. So this message from Beyond Words, Simon and Schuster. Hello, this is Richard Cohn, publisher of Beyond Words. We are very honored to be partnering with Simon & Schuster and the Synergy Foundation to bring you a new thought-provoking book for these challenging times. It is called Our Moment of Choice, and it features 43 of the world's most well-known spiritual thinkers, offering practical solutions to the most pressing problems of our time, from economic inequality and social injustice to climate change and spiritual disconnection. Deepak Chopra offers his thoughts on how our inherent wholeness is not a choice, while Greg Braden suggests that we can change our world by first realizing that none of us are separate from each other. Lynn McTaggart investigates the link between altruism and self-healing. Michael Bernard Beckwith, Bruce Lipton, and many others share their thoughts on moving forward in ways that expand our consciousness and benefit the global community. Our moment of choice calls on us all to be the co-creators of a just, unified, peaceful, and thriving world. The time has come for all humanity to be united in purpose. This is our call to action. This is our collective moment of choice upon which our future depends. You can purchase your copy today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Beyond Words, or your local independent bookstore. Welcome back to The Convergence on Voice America. This is your host, Dr. Kurt Johnson, here with our co-host, Ariel Patricia, of Sacred Stories. Okay, let's join now with our third group of authors. They will be introduced by Ariel, who will moderate the discussion. So let's go over now to Ariel and her three guests, William Henry and Drs. J.J. and Desiree Hertog. Our final segment is on the topic of ascension, which one of our guests, William Henry, describes as our quest for wholeness, completion, and ultimately perfection, which means to be holy and pure of heart. William Henry is an investigative mythologist, art historian, TV presenter, and an internationally recognized authority on human spiritual potential, transformation, and ascension. William is the author of our upcoming book, Ascension, Divine Stories of Awakening the Whole and Holy Being Within, another incredible book in our Common Sentience book series. Joining William are Drs. J.J. and Desiree Hertak, co-founders of the Academy for Future Science, an international NGO with the UN that works to bring cooperation between science and local cultures through education with an emphasis on sustainable development. Dr. J.J. Hertog is a social scientist and specialist in space law and cosmology, and Dr. Desiree Hertog is an environmentalist, social scientist, and futurist. Together, they have written numerous books, the most recent co-authored with physicist Dr. Elizabeth Rauscher, entitled Mind Dynamics in Space and Time. 
The full bios of our guests are available on the Voice America show page. So William, let's start with you. You describe ascension as our quest for wholeness, completion, and ultimately perfection. Please explain what this means. Yeah, and and thank you for asking that. As a student of ascension, like all of us, as well as a practitioner, I like to know where the ascension concept originated. And it turns out historically, you can trace it all the way back to at least 2100 BC to the this, this Sumerian story, the Epic of Gilgamesh. He's a, a Sumerian king, and he's told by a goddess that he's two-thirds divine and one-third human. Now, that raises all kinds of important questions about the possibility of an alien interaction in the ancient world. They made him two-thirds divine and one-third human, but it also characterizes our archetypal dilemma, if you will. If we, if we say, for example, that Gilgamesh is an exemplar of all of humanity, then maybe perhaps you and I are two-thirds divine and one-third human as well. It's a good starting place. Wholeness, which is ultimately what Gilgamesh is seeking and what we're all seeking, is, is symbolized by a circle. And a circle is 360 degrees. So two-thirds of 360 is 240. And so from that understanding, it, it tells us that perhaps that we're all, we, while we think of ourselves as perhaps being born perfect or having the ability of attaining perfection or ultimate completion, that perhaps there's work that we all have to do while we're on the earth plane. And I think that's fair to say about most all of us, is that we're all seeking something while we're here. We're on a mission of, uh, as an agent of our creator. We're seeking this, these understandings about transformation. And ultimately, we, we want to... Uh, leave this plane and go to a, a higher, finer realm. That, that, that is the, the core concept of ascension. And along the way, we want to move our needle from 240 to 360. And that, that is ultimately individually specific. The things that I need to work on to move my needle are different from what JJ or Desiree needs to do or, or Ariel or anybody else. And so part of our quest is to take a look at our own lives and see where we're at now and begin to visualize, contemplate, meditate on our future self when we are ultimately in that state of completion, wholeness, and holiness. And one of the key insights that I've learned is that compassion is one of those key aspects of all of the holy beings. And being a more compassionate person is an excellent place for all of us to start if we're wondering what are the next best steps for us to take. William, thanks so much. You know, the purpose of this special is about the power of telling our spiritual stories. And what better way to understand that than to experience or listen to someone's stories? So JJ, you and Desiree share a powerful Ascension story in William's upcoming book. Can you share the story for our listeners? Right, I'll start. Actually, Dr. Herjack in 1973 had what we would consider an Ascension experience. And this is a real reality. And in actuality, that's why we are contributing to the book with William Henry that Sacred Stories is all about, because it's important to understand that these things are real. Yes. In 1973, I was meditating using sacred language or mantras with sacred geometry and also a musical vibration uh, to discern, if possible, through meditation, the future of humanity And during that deep meditation, an experience happened that was overwhelming. A pillar of light, I call superluminal light, appeared in my room, and out of that a face appeared. And I was asked if I was ready. In other words, my free will was addressed. 
And I said I was. And from that moment, my consciousness and my body were biolocated together into a different vibratory state. I call it a higher dimensional state where I was shown a panorama of future scenarios. This is why I called the book that later wrote the book of knowledge because of the many knowledge levels, the keys of Enoch, in other words, keys of vibration to the new self, the higher self. And this overview covered not only the microevolution, the subatomic, but macroevolution, what is happening to our planet as a whole system, and mega evolution, where we're going into the future with the cosmic family, quote unquote. For example, in microevolution, I was reading uh, down information regarding what is called muon waves, which we now know are used for the understanding of virtual particles. Even they look for sacred rooms inside the Great Pyramid of Egypt being done by Japanese and French scientists uses muon waves. And finally, I was shown that there was also sacred areas of the world that were once places of contact with what is called the higher intelligence or the higher evolution, one of which was the island of Flores in Indonesia. This was in 1973. In the year 2003, 30 years later, scientists from Indonesia, Australia, and other parts of the world found what is called the Homo Florensius, which is a, a habitat intelligence that went back some 800,000 years, contemporary with modern man, but was very important to realize there was another phase of earlier history that was very important to be rediscovered, showing a world map of a grid system of how all human history would be reconnected. And finally, on a higher level, I was shown that our sun is a variable star, quote unquote, the words can change. And this was preposterous in 1973. I was laughed at by my colleagues in astronomy and cosmology, yet it found its place in history because in 2005, NASA scientists recognized that our sun system, S-U-N, is a variable star. So this is three of the 64 areas of a higher blueprint that I was shown that is so relevant. But most important was the idea that consciousness expansion was a part that scientists would have to acknowledge. Consciousness is the hidden variable for quantum transitions. It brings together not only the material, but the non-material, the scientific and also the spiritual, the East as well as the West. And so we're at a dynamic stage of history of recognizing, wow, we have this consciousness cosmology at our fingertips that is now bringing people throughout the world, regardless of culture, background, ideology, into a realization that humanity is taking a great leap into the future, that we must be prepared for in a positive psychology, a positive sociology, and a positive cosmology. Right. If I can just add to that a little bit, Ariel, you mentioned, you know, the importance of sacred wisdom. Well, it's so important to realize these things are real. Many people put them to mythology or, as you said, even sacred stories that have no real background. But the more and more we start discovering things, we are seeing that there are other realities that people were able to tap into and to experience. And we believe that there are actually beings that exist beyond this third dimension. Thank you, Desiree and JJ. William, as the author of our upcoming book on Ascension, what are your thoughts on the story that JJ and Desiree shared and your larger views on our path of Ascension today? Well, his experience is one of the penultimate modern day Ascension stories. So I'm honored that he'll be part of our our book and to be able to share that. And Desiree's comment, especially that this is, 
this is not just a story. This isn't something that happened to somebody 2,000 years ago, 4,000 years ago. It's a contemporary experience, and it's not just one individual who is experiencing this. Many of us are are experiencing events in our lives, consciousness expansion that are uh, aligned with the, the ascension concept, but perhaps we haven't put a label on it. And, and understanding that then puts you into a, a context of, of what you're experiencing and also tells you a, sort of not a recipe book, but really a catalog of what people can expect as they're on the ascension path here. Uh, for the first time in history, and again, riffing on something I think JJ just mentioned, or, uh, was that we, we are in this, this moment of history that has never, never happened before where we're not only going deep into the micro world, we're going into the macro world at the same time in ways that no other humans could have ever dreamed. And because of that, there's, there's a lot of challenges that are, that are in our world. We have technology that's impinging on our spiritual being. And in some people's opinion, it's, it's tyrannical. And this is, should be used not as a, a fear-based idea, but as motivation that, that now is the time to be doing that deep spiritual work. We, you know, we always think maybe, well, we'll get to that next year when we retire or whatever. Now is the time for that, because if we are not pursuing an organic ascension, a technological one is in the waiting for us. And that, in my opinion, is, is not a path that we want to be embracing. So for the first time in history, though, we have hundreds of millions of people around the world that are practicing yoga, they're, they're doing meditation, they're working on their diet, they're, they're learning about the, uh, the, the power of their consciousness. And all of these people together are really building a thought form for that next human, for that whole, holy and complete human. And so I encourage everyone that's listening to recognize that the work they're doing is not isolated. They're, they're part of a collective of people that are called to do this work at this time. And if we don't do this work at this time, there will be dire consequences for our children and grandchildren. Thank you, William. That is the work of the Common Sentience book series, pairing our deep spiritual wisdom with the power of our spiritual experiences, our spiritual stories, so that we hope together that people can deepen into the innate essence of who they are and hopefully choose better in this world. Now, Desiree, you and JJ's work to help elevate our consciousness has spanned decades. Tell us why you feel it's critical today to freely share personal mystical experiences and how you hope the power of spiritual storytelling will help elevate the consciousness of all of us. Well, if I can enlarge that, because and going with what William just said, is that it's important to realize that we are all having spiritual stories or we should be willing to have them. That opening the box and stepping out of the box is so critical. And it's coming through people's dreams. And of course, some dreams are just emotional releases, as Sigmund Freud tells us, but a lot of it is soul experiences. So that's one aspect. The other aspect we've been teaching people is remote viewing, because once you realize you can see something on the other side of the planet, even though you're sitting here in California or wherever you are, that's an amazing phenomena. And some people who work with this at Stanford Research Institute also saw you can do precognition and how much can that help us if we know in the future what's going to happen so this is all part of that and i think this is really key and this is where the indigenous people came in they always honor the 
hawk, the condor, the eagle, because they realized that those entities were able to fly and get that overview effect of everything. And that's so critical to our being able to have that ascension experience. We really, there's no limitations to our consciousness mind that can go out into the consciousness field and experience all different realities from the highest levels to the local levels, to helping our brothers and sisters down here, to helping the indigenous people, to helping um, really tapping into a higher consciousness and turning away a hurricane that's coming on, you know, in our, into our life space. So it's a matter of understanding our empowerment with these sacred stories connected with Ascension, but also connected with our mission here on planet Earth. And also, we've had several events, one of which took place 27 years after my initial experience in Mexico, where I was using the ancient Hebrew Aramaic mantras, and the light, as you see, appeared suddenly around my body, suggesting that in the sacred era, this was in Tulum, where there was an ancient pyramid location, there were vortex points that one can go to and assimilate the light and actually be momentarily elevated or ascending into another level consciousness reality. So I'm sure we join William Henry with the understanding that all of us need to develop our own personal sacred stories and to work towards our own ascension, which is not ascension necessarily into the void, but ascension into our cosmic family and the divine family. Of In life. essence, we're going from humankind to space kind. The universe is opening the stores, and this is a reality that requires positive discernment as to which way we go, to what level we go, and how we see the fullness of the human and divine spark of life coming together in partnership. William, would you like to um, final thoughts on, on our conversation and final thoughts on telling the power of telling our spiritual stories? Final thoughts. Action is what is required. And I would encourage listeners to, to take five minutes after listening to this to just think about your, your, your future self, your more whole, your more holy self. You, that that's, could be that, that voice that you hear and you're procrastinating on doing some of the things. It can be taking an extra walk a day, playing the guitar for 30 minutes a day. It could be anything that puts you in that kind of place of centeredness, peace, focus. Start doing those things because that starts moving the needle. And as we move the needle and we get into these higher frequency aspects of ourselves going from, say, 240 into 300 to 320, suddenly things start to open up that we can't even contemplate presently. And that's when the intelligences and the conscious beings that we've been talking about today will then be able to, to be, uh, become known to us and make their awareness known to us. And because we're reaching up to them at the same time, they're reaching down to us. They are looking for people just like you who are, are about to reach that point of illumination or perhaps have and can enter into your consciousness and assist you in completing your ascension so that then you can turn and help the one beside you to complete their own. So that is the power of the story as well, is that we're all ultimately going to have, as we reach into these higher levels, a high story to tell about how we got here and how clever we were and the path that we took. And then there's also going to be the collective story as well of what humanity did at this time. And this is what motivates me and excites me is to think that several generations from now, there will be human beings, organic human beings who look back to us and say, they did it for us. <clears throat> they kept the door open for us and enabling us to reach to these higher levels. And we are, we are their heroes. I'm not going to use the word saviors, but we are their heroes. 
heroes. We are the ones that they will look back to and be talking about from now on. So let's get together. Let's, let's do that action together. Let's make it happen for ourselves and also for future generations. Well, Ariel, William, JJ, and Desiree, thank you so much for those sharings. Topics which may well be new and to some even challenging. Thank you, William and the Doctors Heard Talk, for acquainting us with the grand cosmic landscape, which, as you said, is both real and available to us. And thanks, William, at the end, for reminding us to take action, action from the depths of our personal experience, to reach out toward the world that we know is possible and the world our hearts want to see. As so many commentators on stories say, the important thing about stories is what they cause us to do. So ascension, as you say, is what each of us can understand as our own spiritual maturation, our spiritual growing up, and our greater awakening. And we want to build a world that reflects that. So thanks so much, Ariel, for bringing these nine guests together for such an inspiring sharing. So honoring these authors once again, let's go over to the short reminder of the Common Sentience book series, of which all of these authors have been a part. And my thanks to those among them who were also a part of the Evolutionary Leaders book that I was privileged to edit in 2021. So over now again to Common Sentience. The Mystical Goes Mainstream. Common Sentience, a first-of-its-kind book series, is proving that our direct, personal, spiritual experiences are an increasingly common and meaningful part of our human lives. Each book in the series spotlights specific ways that our profound connections with the divine are made through nature, angels, sound, spirit guides, animals, meditation, ancestors, shamanism, ascension, and more. What makes these books special is the featured author of each book is a renowned thought leader on the topic that shares grounded wisdom and deepening practices that expand and elevate your understanding of the spiritual phenomenon. Then in each book, you experience the mystical through the words of those who've lived it. Read true personal spiritual stories shared by people from around the world, people just like you and me. The result is an uncommon book series that helps each of us remember and embrace our innate essence as spiritual beings. Current books in the series include Animals, Personal Tales of Encounters with Spirit Animals by Dr. Stephen Farmer, and Meditation, Intimate Experiences with the Divine Through Contemplative Practices by Sister Dr. Jenna Both books now available from booksellers worldwide Pick up your copies today and deepen into your experience of the divine nature of who you really are Go to sacredstories.com for information on Common Sentience An Uncommon Book Series Welcome back to The Convergence on Voice America. This is your host, Dr. Kurt Johnson, 
here with our co-host, Ariel Patricia of Sacred Stories. I think I'm realizing now as the series host here, how lucky we have been that without any of us knowing in advance the exact content of these discussions, the book endings brought to us by both Greg Braden and Deepak Chopra have been just perfect. Dr. Chopra was so gracious to provide us a concluding sharing for this discussion, commenting on and from his own life experience. As you know, Dr. Chopra is acknowledged worldwide as a superior leading connector and bridge person between all of these dimensions that some might consider esoteric and connecting them to the world of modern science. For in Dr. Chopra and so many of his colleagues in their international programs and publications are recognized as superior resources for our understanding of these phenomena, both as experienced and as studied and recognized by modern science, neuroscience, quantum mechanics, medicine, and so on. Light on Light Press is currently developing a book with Dr. Chopra's director of research at the Chopra Foundation, Dr. Paul J. Mills, on the experiences of major medical doctors and scientists as they navigate their own personal journeys across these realms of personal experience and the parallel world of good, hard science. It is an intriguing time in our history for this straddle. As all of our guests have said, these dimensions are coming into synergy now for so many in our modern world. And as they've shared, this often brings up the question of what is actually real and helps us broaden our perspective on the breadth and depth of reality itself. Often when working with Dr. Mills and editing stories like many on this program today, I have to remind myself that Dr. Mills is also the author of over 300 scientific journal articles on consciousness and neuroscience, and quite a few co-authored with Dr. Chopra. Having attended Dr. Chopra's Sages and Scientists events, I also know of the amazing panels that he has assembled of scientists, philanthropists, and world leaders, speaking of their own transcendent experiences, and as our guest William Henry said, how those have motivated them deeply into activism. So as our final bridge, let's go over now and hear exactly what Dr. Chopra has to say about his own experiences and what is guiding his life at this point in history. This is Dr. Deepak Chopra, and uh, here is my take on the power of uh, spiritual storytelling and the spiritual quest as we wake up from the conditioned mind to the pure mind, the source of all stories. So to begin with, I would like to share with you that when I was about uh, four or five years old, um, my mother used to tell me spiritual stories um, while I sat in her lap. And she was not only a great storyteller, 
she would sing the stories from the Puranas, the ancient uh, Indian Sanskrit texts, which literally means uh, ancient stories that covered a wide range of topics, including legends and additional um, Vedic lore, mythology, and spiritual teachings. So I grew up on spiritual stories. Um, most of the time, these stories were recited by her as she sang to me. And she always ended the story in the evening with what we would today call a cliffhanger. And she'd say, now, uh, dream up the rest of the story and make sure it's a happy ending and make sure that all the, um, all the stories are love stories. So I remember that. And I remember waking up and actually having a story downloaded in my consciousness, which was very similar to the spiritual stories that she told me. So now a little bit on the ancient art of um, storytelling, going back to the Puranas. As far as we know, oral language is uh, maybe about 40,000 years um, um, since its birth. Homo sapiens has existed for 200,000 years. And as far as we know, written language is only about five to 8,000 years. Um, but language began with stories up until the cognitive revolution. Um, there were eight different types of human species. We call ourselves Homo sapiens, which means the wise ones. But we gave names to the other. And that's very interesting how we gave ourselves the name wise ones um, through hubris, humility or whatever. But we gave names to other species as well. Almost Homo habilis, Homo erectus, Florohensis, etc., etc. And all these different species had um, a language which was very rudimentary. It was either about survival or about, yeah, the, all the stories were about survival. There was no actual storytelling. The language was either mating calls or danger calls or food. And that's how species survived. But then one species, us, uh, created a language for stories. And this was so powerful that we basically got rid of all the other species just through the power of storytelling and human constructs like money, like commerce, like kingdoms, like empires, colonialism, uh, and on and on. We created constructs like latitude and longitude and ideas like the Milky Way galaxy. And this is what it means to be human today. To be human is to have a story. And to have a powerful story is to have power. Uh, this is how civilization has evolved. So my personal take on storytelling, and I've done about 10 uh, fiction books on spiritual stories, including Jesus, the story of enlightenment, Buddha, a story of enlightenment, Muhammad, a story of the last prophet, God, a story of revelation, which looks at stories from the Old Testament up to the time of Einstein and Tagore. 
but I still maintain that my inspiration comes from my mother and from the stories I heard um, through her in the form of song. And these are the Puranic literature. And this Purana literally means ancient, as I mentioned earlier. And this literature is truly encyclopedic. It talks about deities such as Vishnu, Shiva, Brahma, Shakti. These deities are not external gods or goddesses, but the symbolic representations of our quest for the divine. And these stories include every possible topic, cosmology, genealogies of higher beings, gods, goddesses, kings, heroes, sages, demigods. They include folk tales. They include stories of pilgrimages, stories of the birth and destruction of temples, stories about the birth of medicine, of astronomy. These stories deal with the origins of grammar, mineralogy, humor, mathematics, love stories, but all the stories in the end actually are love stories and the love is always with the divine in each of us. And there are about 18 of these Puranas, major Puranas, uh, which are called Mukhya, M-U-K-H-Y-A. And then there are minor Puranas with over 40,000 verses. And uh, they are considered smritis. The word smriti is a Sanskrit word, which means that which is remembered. And they are based on what is called shruti, which is that which is heard in the stillness of pure being or pure silence. And so that's the background. My current story is that I'm invoking in myself the story at the moment of um, a great seer, a great sage called Ashtavakra, A-S-T-H-A-V-A-K-R-A, Ashtavakra. He was born um, deformed with all his four limbs deformed and he had eight deformities and he was uh, the size of a dwarf. And when the great um, king of Mithila, the ancient um, uh, mythical kingdom of God, but the great king Janaka was like Caesar, a very powerful king of this uh, great kingdom. When he was defeated by other um, uh, powerful uh, forces and other materialistic forces, and left destitute, he met Ashtavakra, the deformed child, genius, spiritual savant, who actually told him that um, the self of the individual is the self of the universe. And he educated King Janaka um, from his uh, superstition of materialism to his quest for the divine. Ashtavakra also dictated the Gita, not the Bhagavad Gita, which is part of the Mahabharata, but another Gita, which talks about liberation from suffering. So Ashtavakra, with his eight deformities, is a link to our um, memory of 
loss of grace, which comes from losing our connection to the divine within us. And the eight limbs of yoga are a memory to how to resurrect our soul while we reinvent everything else, including our body and our mind. And in my personal case, entering the fourth ashrama of my life, which is about spiritual revelation and self-realization, my quest right now is to remember, 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 two words, that which was dismembered, our connection to source or divinity or infinite being, which is who we truly are beyond all stories. And that remembrance is through the eight limbs of yoga. And uh, I am now writing stories um, around remembrance or smriti, as it's called in Sanskrit, remember that which was dismembered. We are shattered pieces of the divine and we feel separate, but we now need to remember that which was dismembered. And therefore, my future quest starting now is the remembrance of um, our, our link to source and our identity as source uh, through the eight limbs. So here are the eight limbs. Uh, first uh, limb is called Yama. And the five Yamas are relationship to the self. Um, they begin with Ahimsa, which is nonviolence, and uh, the great, uh, the great uh, um, sage Patanjali, who wrote the original um, uh, text on yoga, uh, says that when we are perfectly established in peace consciousness, all beings around us cease to feel hostility. The second Yama is Satya, the difference between the relative truth and the absolute truth. The third yama is asteya, non-covetousness, because covetousness and jealousy reflect um, what we call poverty consciousness. The fourth yama is brahmacharya, responsible use of sexual energy. And the fifth yama uh, is aparigraha, uh, non-clinging, um, non-grasping. So these are also referred to as the restraints, but basically they're relationships to the self. And then the five niyamas are basically about observances and our engagement with, um, um, with the world, with personal and social interactions. And the five yamas are shorch, mental and physical hygiene, santosh, contentment, tapas, the uh, the sacrifice of the absolute for the relative, swadhyaya, um, self-study, uh, which includes a study of the physical self, the subtle self, and the causal body. And finally, Ishwar Pranidhana, surrender to the divine mystery that each of us are. So these are the first two aspects of storytelling that I'll be focusing on as I uh, explore living in the light. The third limb is uh, yogasana, which is how we direct posture 
um, and awareness to the self. The fourth is pranayama, as you know, um, which is the interface between consciousness and the physical world, which is breath. The fifth is uh, pratyahara, going inward and navigating the mysteries of our body internally, uh, something that is being called interoception right now. And then the last three limbs are dhyan, dhar, and dhyan, which is meditation, dharna, focused intention, and samadhi, which is um, transcendence and liberation from all stories. So this is uh, my take on spiritual storytelling. I think this is a very ancient art which needs to be revived as we wake up from human to metahuman, from personal to transcendent, from mortal to divine. Uh, looking forward to exploring spiritual stories with all of you as the years unfold. Thank you very much for inviting me to participate in this session. This is Deepak Chopra. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Deepak Chopra, for that panoramic and personal journey through understanding the origins of story and their role in human evolution. And the particularly and deep understanding of story throughout our planet's great Vedic traditions. And not only that, but a journey through its relationship to yoga and all that that means in the sense of the unity of our own design, both in body and soul, and the destiny that that affords us in our life on this planet. As you say, what a potential we have if only we see it. And thank you especially for sharing your personal story and what is motivating you at the deepest levels regarding your own work and mission in the world. Thank you so much for that depth and enlightening generosity. So I think in closing, we're ready now to join again with our co-host and look toward wrapping up. And thank you, Ariel, for bringing together these nine authors, leaders, and mystics and inviting them to share with us their deep personal experiences and understandings. Wrapping that together with Greg Braden's introduction and Deepak Chopra's concluding remarks, we have really shared an impressively large and inspiring landscape. So as one of the choreographers of this program, what are the comments that you'd like to conclude with to help us wrap it up? Kurt, in an absolutely phenomenal program, and a testament to the wisdom of our divine essence and the power of telling our spiritual stories. A deep bow to all of our guests and an encouragement to our listeners to embrace the beautiful innate wisdom within you and open to your personal mystical experiences and the telling of your spiritual stories. Well, Ariel, thank you so much. And thanks again for being a part of bringing this really great program together. So I think it's time for me now to close and share what's coming up next on The Convergence and from Light on Light Publications and Media and from the Inner Spiritual Dialogue Network, which is the host of this Convergence series on Voice America. Well, thanks to everyone and thanks to our guests, our co-host, Ariel Patricia, and our eloquent bookending hosts, Greg Braden and Deepak Chopra. 
and the nine guests who addressed all these aspects of the power of our spiritual storytelling. William Henry, Sister Dr. Jenna, Sister Genty, Temple Hayes, Oscar Miro Casada, Stephen Farmer, Mindahi Bastido Munoz, and JJ and Desiree Hertog. I have a feeling that people are going to be listening to this broadcast more than once. So we are so happy to be bringing it to our large audience at Voice America. Be sure and check out all the books and websites of the authors that we have featured. They are all noted at the Voice America show page, precisely where you have accessed this program or by Googling the Convergence at Voice America. And check out all the websites for the hosts of the Convergence at Voice America, lightonlight.us, and for Sacred Stories, sacredstories.com. The Convergence will be back again with more specials as we move into 2022, the next one being on the challenges of the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals, part of the challenging vision concerning the direction our planet needs to go to survive, and hopefully to thrive. That special will feature the United Nations SDG Thought Leader Circle, which can be found at sdgthoughtleadercircle.org. That's sdgthoughtleadercircle.org. So until then, lots of love from all of us, and be safe and be well. Just inside.